Um, our reading comes from Colossians chapter 2. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by, by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. It's funny, when I first got the job here, they wouldn't let me start till October, even though I moved in at the end of August. So I had five weeks off, and with a friend I went all the way to Willow Creek, which is a mega church in Chicago. Uh, I was there for a small group conference, and uh, there were at least 3,000 people there, all in a big auditorium. There are only five people from the UK there. That was me and my friends, one other person, and two people from guess where? Troll Church. <laughs> I knew this remarkable set of churches I was coming to when I saw that. I looked there and I saw, gosh, could you imagine ever standing on a stage in front of a big auditorium? And here I am, it's my Willow Creek moment. <laughs> but before it goes to my head, let's pray together. Loving Father, please would you open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your words. Then melt our hearts and motivate our wills, that we might live in humble obedience to all that we read. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. W.E. Sangster was a great Methodist minister in London in the early part of last century. He was on an interview panel interviewing a candidate for the post of a new minister in a church. And an interesting young man came in front of the interview panel. When it was his time to talk to him, the young man said to those interviewing him, I want to explain that I'm a rather shy person. I'm not the kind of person who will set the Thames on fire. In other words, he was unlikely by his, himself to stir up the city by his own personality and ministry skills. And Dr. Sangster, being wise and older in years, said to him, my dear young brother, I'm not interested to know if you can set the Thames on fire, but what I do want to know is this. If I picked you up by the scruff of the neck and I dropped you in the Thames, would it sizzle? <laughs> in other words, what matters is this. Are you on fire for Christ? Are you passionate for Christ? Are you passionate about the gospel? Are you passionate about serving him? That's what matters. And actually, when it comes to this passage that's above you, the key issue is this. Are you passionate about the church? 
Are you passionate about Christ's church? You see, the results of our ministry here in Trull is not down to us. We may never set Trull or Taunton alight as individuals or as a church, but that is not what matters. What matters is, are we passionate? Are we on fire for Christ? And are we passionate and on fire for his church? Nothing, nothing matters more to me as I get ready to leave these two churches. Is this, that if I dropped these two churches into Sherford Stream from Monkey Island, <laughs> would you sizzle? And there are two things I want to draw attention to as I leave you from the passage above. The first is this, Paul's passion for his church. You see, what is very striking is the intensity of how Paul feels about the church in Colossae. But remember, he's never met them. He's never been there. He's only ever met Epaphras and Philemon and maybe the odd other one. Probably at Ephesus, maybe in other places, but he's never been there. He's never seen them. But he is passionate about that church. Just read verse 1. I think up there uh, you've got the word contending. In the, in the NIV, in the old form of it, it says, I want to know how much I'm struggling for you and those at Laodicea. Just an intense word. It's from the Greek word agon, from which we get the word agonize. It's used of the intensity with which wrestlers fought or athletes ran in ancient games. It has that sense of an intense struggle, an agonizing over, a fighting for. You see, that is what Paul has been doing for this church that he didn't know very well. He had a massive heart for this church and he agonised over them. He agonised for them. How did he agonise for them? My guess is he was willing to face persecution for them. When you read 2 Corinthians, Paul uh, lists all the things he endured on behalf of the churches. Riots, shipwrecks, beatings, whippings, persecution, days of hunger and thirst and nakedness and cold and imprisonment. Paul had literally been to hell and back because he cared so much for these churches. Secondly, he was unceasing in his labour for them. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. Such was his care for churches. He willingly endured sleepless nights, worrying about them. He would literally do anything for them. Thirdly, I think he was willing to face pain, the pain that comes from caring so much about a church. In 2 Corinthians 11:29, he writes, Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? See, when others are hurting that we care about, it hurts us too. See, that's what happens when you care deeply for others. Their pain deeply affects you. Paul was willing to be open to being deeply hurt by those he cared so much about. Such was his commitment to this church. But perhaps the major thing that Paul agonised over, the thing he struggled with most, came from his prayer for the church. 
In Colossians 4.12, we're told, Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you. That word wrestle is exactly the same word, the agonising word. Epaphras is agonising in prayer for you. See, in the midst of the spiritual battle, do you remember in Ephesians, after that spiritual armour that the church is meant to put on, Paul urges them to pray in the spirits on all occasions with all kinds of requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Arguably, Paul's greatest struggle and agony for the church lay in the way that he prayed for the church that he loved so much. So as I leave these wonderful places, these wonderful churches, and you are, don't get big-headed, but you are extraordinary, I care incredibly about you. I wrote on Facebook last night, or was it this morning, I can't believe how much I love two churches. I didn't believe I could love churches when I came to be the minister of one. I hear so many stories of vicars and how they feel about their churches. And it is extraordinary to feel as I do about you. But what I ask you please is this, please will you agonise over these two churches? Please agonise over them. Don't take them for granted. Don't treat them anything other than the very precious, precious things that they are to the Lord Jesus Christ. Please will you love them, care about them. Be prepared to go to hell and back for these churches. Worry about them. Work hard for their health and their well-being. Work hard for unity. Work hard to see Christ-likeness grow in these churches. Love these churches with an intense passion. Fight for these churches. Be willing to do anything to protect them and ensure that these churches are thriving and growing and bearing fruit, not just for the next nine months, but for the next nine years, the next nine centuries. Yes, you are sowing seeds even for them. Make this be a church also that you rejoice over. I love it, verse 7. It speaks there of being overflowing with thankfulness. I'm sure that's about the gospel, but I also sense here it's about the church. Paul speaks of in, uh, in uh, uh, Philippians. He says, I thank my God every time I remem- remember you. I hope that you are never embarrassed or a bit coy about being part of this church. It is not a perfect church. There is stuff about it that, yes, is very dodgy around the edges, and sometimes dodgy in the middle. (laughs) But never be embarrassed about this church. It is Christ's church that he loves, and it is the most wonderful thing ever. Please, please, when I'm gone, will you agonise over these churches? And then secondly, notice that Paul has a deep longing for this church to keep and it is become my little mantra, thriving, growing, and bearing fruit. Look at verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. See, Paul is not around, but they can still thrive and grow and bear fruit. You don't need me here to thrive and grow and bear fruit. And so please don't drop the vision. Please don't have lower expectations for the next nine months. Have greater expectations for the next nine months and for what God might do here. 
But I want you to note what the key is in this passage to a thriving, growing, fruit-bearing, healthy church during a vacancy. It's there in verse 2 and 3. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in hearts and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you are to be a healthy, thriving, growing, fruit-bearing church, it is very simple. You need to know more of Christ and focus more on Christ. It is that simple. Get to know Christ better and focus on Christ more intently. Two weeks before he died, C.S. Lewis received a letter from a little girl. He responded to the girl like this, Dear Ruth, many thanks for your letter. It was very good of you to write and tell me that you liked my books. A very good letter you write for your age. And then he said this, If you continue to love Jesus, nothing much can go wrong with you. I hope you will also always do so. See, for C.S. Lewis, that was the truth of his life. Of course, Lewis had many problems in life. He'd known deep pain and grief. He had lost his wife. But he knew the truth that if we love Jesus with all our hearts, nothing much can go wrong in our lives. With Jesus, we can face anything. And knowing Christ is everything. Who was here, part of this church, when I was licensed 14 years ago? Stick your hand up. So, about a third, quarter perhaps. I wonder if you remember the passage that was read at my licensing service. Yes, David can't remember. Yes! <laughs> I've got something that David can't remember. <laughs> it came from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He was, did you get it right? I'm going to read these verses. This is what was read the day I started in trial. It's all about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. In him there is the fullness of God's. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is the maker of everything. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. This world only continues to spin on its axis because Jesus says so. We only eat and breathe because Jesus allows us. He could stop it at any moment he chose. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have this supremacy. And finally, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do you believe that Christ is the fullness of God? Do you believe that Christ is the creator of all things? Do you believe that Christ is the sustainer of everyday life? Do you believe that he is the supreme over all things, the church and the whole of creation? And do you believe above all he is the saviour, the reconciler who can enable you to come into a relationship with the God who made you?
Do you believe that? Well, if you're not yet a Christian, some of you I've sat with for many, many weeks. And you know that I can't make you a Christian. I can't convince you to be a Christian, but please, just keep looking at Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus and ask that one day he would open your eyes. Because I am convinced from my own experience that verse 3 is true of Colossians chapter 2. That in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That the answer to every question we have about life is found in Christ and Christ alone. I believe that passionately. But finally, there is a remarkable thing in this passage that I had never seen before I looked at it this time. Just look carefully at verse 2. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in hearts and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Did you spot the link? In other words, the depth of our understanding of Jesus depends on the love that we have for each other. Have you ever spotted that before? The depth of our knowledge of Jesus depends on the depth of our love for each other. Love for fellow Christians is essential to a complete understanding of Jesus Christ. In other words, intellectually asking, answering questions about who Jesus is, what he's done, what significance he has in the universe, will only get you so far. Paul is saying to truly know Jesus, to truly understand the depth of the gospel and the life eternal that he promises us, it can only be done when you commit yourself in love and unity to relationships of love and encouragement to other Christians. I find that a mind-blowing truth, don't you? Can you be a Christian and not go to church? No, you cannot. You cannot do it. You cannot be a Christian and not be part of a local church. It is impossible. Unless for some reason you have to stay at home, in which case the church needs to come to you. Because you will never plumb the full depths of the knowledge of Christ unless you are being encouraged by and loving other Christians. That is what Paul says. And if you think you know better than Paul, woe betide you. See, what Paul is saying to us as we head into vacancy is, yes, keep growing through reading the Bible, studying and listening to good Bible preaching. Yes, absolutely. And God has blessed this church with an amazing team, hasn't he? Hasn't he? Yes. He has. But it cannot be done without your commitment to being part of and fully immersed in uh, these two church families. Do you know the greatest threat of vacancy, according to all the research, is people drifting away. And when you drift away from church, you almost always drift away from Christ. The statistics say it happens all too often. And I want to plead with you. I want to urge you. Love these churches. Commit yourself to these churches. No matter what happens, highs and lows of the next few months. Maybe some of you who are here now become detached. You come back to say goodbye and that is wonderful. Thank you. But please reconnect. There is too much at stake if you don't. Commit yourself. Struggle with. Open your heart to. Be passionate about the local church and about its people. Commit yourself to one another, because unless you do, you will never grow, you will never thrive, you will never bear the fruit of the gospel.
These churches matter. They matter to girls. They matter to you. Without them, you will never reach the fullness of Christ. And they matter to these two villages. For without the gospel, and those who will be light and sought for it, the people of this village will never know the life that God has planned for them. So Troll Church, Angersley Church, it is now time. It is time to sizzle. It is time to sizzle with passion for Jesus and to sizzle with passion for his church. Let me pray for you. Let's pray. Loving Father, these are your churches. You are head of them. You died for them. You died, uh, Lord Jesus, for every person sat here today. You gave up everything. Such was your love and your passion. And so I pray, Lord, that you would draw these people together in a love for one another that they've yet to experience. A commitment to each other. A commitment to encouraging and loving each other so that through them doing that whilst reading your word, they might plumb depths of Jesus they've never seen before. Father, grow this church. Enable these churches to thrive. Enable these churches to bear fruits, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.